today on CityCast Madison. It's Thursday, so of course we're dishing on the Madison food scene. After complaints from teachers, parents, and students last school year, the Madison School District promised it would improve its school lunch program. Some changes have already been made, but UW-Madison professor Jennifer Gaddis says Madison's whole approach to school lunch is stuck in the past. Gaddis is a national expert on school lunch programs and is working with Madison officials to reimagine what school lunch could be. She joins us today to share that vision. It's Thursday, October 19th. I'm Dylan Brogan, and here's what Madison's talking about. Jennifer, thank you for joining me today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So we're talking about school lunches, but I I just got to confess off the bat that I rarely eat lunch. Is lunch really important? Is it important for kids? Well, I think it depends how late you eat breakfast. So... That's my question for you, I guess. Well, maybe I should ask, why uh, How is why is school lunch important for kids in school? Yeah, so school lunch is really important because we know that when kids have um, proper nutrition, it's really um, beneficial for them in terms of not only their academic achievement, but also their behavior and their overall well-being. So it's something that not only impacts that individual child, but if you think about like the context of um kids in school, if you have um, one or more kids who are hungry um, in a classroom, they're more likely to not be able to concentrate um, on their lessons or maybe even to act up in class and be really distracting for their peers. So it's something that's, I think, not only an individual issue, but also something that really impacts the whole kind of classroom community. And we know from um, just research at the national level that the National School Lunch Program, which is our um, federal program that is sponsored by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the meals that we serve through that um, are healthier on average than what people are packing from home if they choose to bring lunches from home by quite a bit. So I think sometimes people uh, think that school food is actually not that healthy, but uh, I, you know I think there's a lot of variation in terms of what individual um, kids and families might be doing um, to pack lunches. But if you look at like the average, um, definitely school meals, because they are um, more highly regulated, right, by the federal government, um, tend to have uh, better nutritional profiles. Yeah. So, so what does like a typical school lunch look like in Madison? Yeah. So I think um, right now, um, what I'm hearing from people is that um, most folks are quite a bit happier this year um, versus last year. And that is partly because um, all the elementary schools, um, save for the exception of maybe um like two or so at this point um, have gotten their garden bars back. So garden bars were something that the schools had before um, the pandemic. And they're basically um, like a salad bar that offers um, not only fresh vegetables, but also fresh fruits. And so I think um, right now, um, what most people are seeing at the elementary level is usually a hot option and a cold option every day for lunch. And then um, uh, the students can go through the garden bar and kind of choose what they want. And they can have unlimited access to fruits and vegetables. So I think that that's a little different um, this year versus um, during the last few years um, returning from uh, the pandemic model where everything was um, pretty much all prepackaged. So what people are seeing always like with the program is um, the five components are fruit, vegetable, um, a protein option, um, grain, and fluid milk. So um, those are the things that you're always going to see just because it's required. Um, and one thing that I think people don't always realize is that um, schools have to offer all of those components, but 
um, students only have to take three um, of those components as long as one is a fruit or a vegetable for it to count as a reimbursable meal through the federal program. I see what you mean there um, about, I mean, really important that the kids like the food mm-hmm. uh, and that there's some choice involved. Uh, but it does seem like there there's a percentage of students in Madison that are bringing their lunch to school. Yeah, a huge percentage. Yeah. So what, I mean, do we know what percentage of in Madison? I sure do. I do a lot of work nationally looking at um, different school nutrition programs. And so like when I see some of the numbers that a district like Madison has, I feel like, ooh, there's some issues that really need to be addressed. If you look at the data, uh, basically what we see is that only about half of the students in the district who qualify for free or reduced meals actually take them on any given day. Um, And then if we look at the percent of students who do not qualify for free or reduced meals who eat school lunch in Madison, it's only 15 percent. Pretty much anyone who can afford to opt out of the program um, is making that decision to opt out. So only about um, like somewhere between 35 to 40 percent of, of students overall actually eat school lunch on a given day. And that's been pretty pretty true, like pretty constant for um, at least a decade if we look back at the statistics. So I think that it's important, um, you know, for this not to be like thought of as a program that is only for students who qualify for free or reduced meals, but that's kind of what it's devolved into in Addison in a lot of ways. And um, I think that it really doesn't need to be that. I think we have made some progress in the last year doing more engagement with um, community members and community discussions and actually the Madison Teachers Inc., so the local teachers union and they're really encouraging families, um, in particular, a lot of those families um, who don't qualify for free or reduced meals that I was just mentioning, to opt into the program. So maybe not saying you know that you have to like have your child eat school lunch every single day, but maybe once or twice a week, you know there are meals that would work for like you or your family. And the reason why um, we're really trying to make that push and communicate that this matters is that one of the ways that school nutrition programs can really improve and get like um, higher quality ingredients and afford to pay their workers better and ultimately like you know make these very large scale transitions yeah. like to scratch cooking for instance um, is by bringing more revenue into the program so when more people participate in the program um, there's certain economies of scale that you get that just make it more possible to make those kinds of improvements so that's something that we've been really working on so you're describing kind of the current state of affair in, in Madison where it, it's like a catch 22 the the school district wants more students to eat school mm-hmm. lunch because that helps pay for everything to improve the food. But if the food doesn't get better, then you don't have the buy-in from the students to to make those changes. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of other school districts. Um, Minneapolis is an example I point to a lot because I think that there are a fair number of parallels between Madison and Minneapolis, where I started doing research in Minneapolis um, about 12 or so years ago. And they were like, in a lot of ways, um, had just kind of started this journey of transitioning away from a big central kitchen like we have here in Madison that, you know, some people might not know that's kind of where the meals come from at the elementary level. Um, everything is prepared in that central kitchen and um, they make little pre-pack meals that um, you know, basically just look like a little TV dinner in plastic. And those are sent to the elementary schools, reheated there and then given to the children. So at middle school and high school levels, they have a lot more ability to cook on site because they do have um, kitchens um, 
generally speaking, in most of those spaces, but in the elementaries, they don't. So um, about like, you know, 14 years or so ago, um, Madison and Minneapolis looked pretty much the same in terms of the model that they used. But Minneapolis made this decision to really try to experiment with what um, cooking from scratch could look like and what it would take to convert their school buildings to be capable of doing that. And at first it started off as like a smaller experiment, but then they saw it really working and started to expand it out to six schools like per year. And they're almost done, you know, with the district-wide conversion. And they're seeing, um, I think, not only um, a lot more students participating in the program, but a lot of um, ability to be sourcing food from local farmers. So Minneapolis is a real leader in what's called farm to school um, procurement, so sourcing food from local farmers, but then also having a lot of educational opportunities um, associated with that food sourcing, like for the kids to be learning about agricultural systems and learning about um, who's producing their food and why it matters. Um, and I think that um, those kinds of things are are really important and could be done here in Madison, but um, we haven't really had the same kind of investments or that same kind of vision uh, for what change could look like here. So I feel like we've yeah. kind of remained like very flat and stagnant and Minneapolis has like, you know, gone on this like divergent track. So it's not like, um, you know, the the how of um, doing these things is unknown. Uh, there's other districts that are doing these things. It's just, I think in a lot of ways, um, really trying to, um, sort of tell people that actually an alternative is possible. Um, first of all, school food is a lot better, I think, than what a lot of people remember, you know, from their own childhood, at least like people in my generation who like grew up in the 90s when I think things were maybe peak processed. Um, but uh, I think that also we just have to um, realize that this is something that um, requires an investment, but um, it's something that also I think would have um, a big payoff for a lot of students and families and also farmers um, in our communities. Can you just talk more maybe about uh, Minneapolis and and where did they begin? Like, how did they solve that problem? Because it sounds like they they were right where we are 15 years ago. Yeah, I think they started off, like I said, with a pilot program. So um, what that means is, you know, working with um, one or a small handful of schools and kind of concentrating on efforts there and seeing what happens, right? Like sort of testing things out and um, looking at what the, the impact is. And I think that's really the approach that uh, Madison is going to take. So there's actually a plan in place um, starting in January. Um, one of the elementary schools, um, Nuestro Mundo, which is one of the dual language schools um, in town, um, will be um, doing a scratch cooking pilot in part because they have a little bit more infrastructure than some of the other elementaries. And I think to me, one of the most exciting parts um, of some of the collaborations lately has actually been working um, with uh, the students in culinary classes. So in particular at East High, um, Emily Sonneman, who was the culinary instructor there, we worked with her and some of the students at East High. So the students in the culinary class, um, they experimented with different recipes and did taste tests like with their peers at East High. And then um, the recipes that students voted on um, that they liked the best, um, those were ones that um, Josh Perkins, who's the Madison um, School Nutrition Director, he and his team, they, re they reworked those recipes uh, based on the students' um, initial menu ideas and then um, incorporated those actually into the menu at East High. And so those are, are going to be things that are rolled out to the other high schools this year. So we actually did a pretty big um, survey. Um, so we surveyed like students from all the high schools in the district and then did a bunch of like um, group 
conversations with students from the different high schools. And really what we heard from the high school students is they want um, fresher food and they want um, like more flexible eating spaces because all, all the high schools actually only have one lunch period. And so like you can imagine that like, you know, if the high schools only have one lunch period um, and everyone wants to eat lunch um, in the cafeteria, there's really not enough space. So we have open campuses, people leave. Um, but then, you know, you have this issue of a lot of students who um, maybe like want to get a school meal also like having a hard time because the lines are so long. So we also worked quite a bit on um, really thinking through like more flexible spaces um, and like kiosks and stuff where students could get grab and go meals. So I think it's like about kind of recognizing like what's going on with like some of the limits of our infrastructure and also just really responding to the experience of the students and also the people yeah. who work in the program because they have the most firsthand knowledge of what it's actually like. Well, so I was like on the website looking at, I went to East High School, so I went to East High School's school mm. menu and, you know, I didn't see there was an option like a little icon that would suggest that it's made from, you know, scratch cooking. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they did an update, but there didn't seem to be a lot of those options currently. When I was there, it was like a, a, at lunch, there was a long line for Pizza Hut pizza and the school district just brought in hundreds of boxes of Pizza Hut pizzas every day. And that seemed yeah. to be like, <laughs> that was lunch that the school provided. I mean, it sounds like the, that, kid, you know, you can get buy-in from parents and students when when the food is good, when there's when they have some options there. But is the challenge like money? Like, yes. just isn't it more expensive? Isn't that why the district uses this central kitchen model to begin with? It kind of depends how you think about money. I mean, it's one of those things where like, the central kitchen itself, like when it was built, it was this like multi-million dollar investment, right? But sure. Um, did it reduce labor costs? Yes, like after a certain period of time. But what we ultimately then end up having is a program that supports one employee in each elementary school. And so that person's like working alone, right? Like, um, so then if you're actually asking them to do um, new and more complicated things or adding things like onto their workday, like even the garden bars, like that's more yeah. complex. They don't have like a person like, you know, to be working with, to be collaborating with. And it makes it a lot more difficult if you're wanting to do things like try to introduce like scratch cooking because you have to have um, usually um, you'd want two people um, and not one um, at each site. There was actually like a statewide study um, in California where they looked at um, what they called the scratch cooking readiness um, of schools across the state. They found that schools that do a high level of scratch cooking um, spend the same amount on food and labor um, combined as those that do a very low amount of scratch cooking. It's just that um, once you actually have the infrastructure in place to be able to cook from scratch, um, like what ends up happening is you spend more money on labor, less money on food if you're cooking from scratch. And that's a good thing, right? Because you're then supporting more jobs in your community versus like basically sending all this money to, you know, the um, the pizza huts or other like manufacturers yeah. of the world. So, I mean, is this ultimately like an infrastructure question? It that, is. And it sounds it, like it really we is. have we have a these pilot programs and mm -hmm. maybe they'll be successful. But so the district can do all the pilots they want. But at the end of the day, an investment in infrastructure to sort of fundamentally change mm -hmm. how this all works. Is that 
you think the direction Madison is going in or needs to go in? I think that that's definitely the direction Madison needs to go in. And I think um, it's been helpful over this last year to have more, I think, public conversations about school food, like children's access to healthy food is like the most foundational thing to enable their learning. So the kitchen infrastructure piece can't be thought of as secondary. But in Madison, I think um, one of the challenges um, is that a lot of the elementaries, um, you know, they just were never built. Yeah, no, they're old schools, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, um, students would walk home for lunch or, um, you know, at, at some point, you know, Madison really went this direction of central kitchens. It was something that I think in particular for um, more urban places, the U.S. Department of Agriculture was really pushing pretty heavily starting in the 1970s was this idea of either a district run central kitchen where you're making your own little prepack meals or just purchasing um, these um, like prepack frozen meals um, from a vendor. Because, yeah, it, it is, um, I think, um, from an initial standpoint, um, less expensive um, because you don't have to to do the infrastructure. But, you know, it's kind of one of those things where like, what's the point of the program? <laughs> like if, if you're really not meeting the community need. And so that's where I feel like um, one thing that for me has been inspiring is seeing um, how some school districts around the country that do have infrastructure really think of their school kitchens, not just as um, infrastructure that's useful for the schools and the students, but actually as a community. Well, it sounds like we, the Madison School District, how they really improve things is to be creative about this and uh, be open to a, a new way of thinking. And did, uh, it sounds like they even made some progress from last year from um, what you were telling us earlier. Yeah. So tell us, like, um, what's the next step? If you had to do one thing this that could be done this year, what do you think it is to sort of set Madison on, on the path you've been describing? Well, I think this is like such a, a simple thing, but you mentioned um, looking at the menus and feeling like maybe um, it either wasn't super accurate um, or that they were doing a very minimal amount of scratch cooking. Oh, this is a branding problem. Yes. So I was going to say that there, there's an infrastructure piece that is like certainly true in terms of what MMSD needs to be doing long term. But I think it's also, yes, very much this like branding and communications issue. We can have an amazing food program that people want to participate in in the city. We just have to like collectively opt in and decide that's what we want to prioritize. Yeah. So like in places that have um, really high levels of participation um, in their meal program, the vibe is just a little different um, in terms of what it feels like in the cafeteria for people to be sharing a meal together in that way. And it's also something that for a lot of people, like if their kids are younger and they're packing lunches, that's a lot of time and mental energy um, and stress like in On the, parents, the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, Jennifer, you we got to have you back on because we could talk to you for hours about all this because it, it fundamentally uh, school lunch is a fundamental part of the whole educational experience. And, and it's good to hear that the Madison School District seems to really recognize that. So just thank you so much for your expertise. You're welcome. That was UW-Madison professor Jennifer Gaddis. And here's what else Madison's talking about. The public market. The Madison City Council has upped its investment in the public market project. Alders voted to commit another $1.6 million to get the market built after construction bids came in higher than expected. Dane County is expected to kick in another million too. 
The price tag for the long-delayed local food hub now exceeds $23 million. If you want to get caught up on the public market, see our show notes for a link to our past episode on it. Also, Mass and Alders have repealed the city's panhandling ordinance. The prohibition on panhandling hasn't been enforced since 2015, following a U.S. Supreme Court ruling that said the activity is protected under the First Amendment. This week, Alders officially approved taking the ordinance off the books. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Dylan Brogan. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this episode with an Adam Sandler fan? We'll be back here tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Until then, 